everybody, it's Thursday. You're not expecting a Weisenheimer podcast today. What's happening? Ah, but guess what? You're getting one, and you're going to like it. <laughs> this is number three in our impromptu interview series. If you listen to our previous episode, 43... 43! <laughs> Freaking witch is still here. Uh, it featured Mark Warzeka. Well, Mark was so awesome, he stuck around, and we got to do an impromptu interview with him. I yeah. think that's because we had donuts in our room. That we is did. very true. We bribed all of these guests with donuts. That's true. Susan, Jacqueline, uh, Mark, and... <laughs> you don't know till next week. But Mark was a great interview, uh, especially he talked about where his beginnings happened in Detroit and the Detroit Second City and then moving on to Chicago. And then he went from Chicago to the Second City in Las Vegas as one of the original cast members there. And transitioning from being a performer on the stage to directing to writing and how improv has influenced him and what improv looks like in Los Angeles. Yes, and we're excited to sit down and chat with him and we hope you will enjoy this impromptu interview. You originally started in Detroit as an improviser. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, guide me along the way, because I want to say your timeline goes from the second city, Detroit, to the second city, Las Vegas. That's true, yeah. I went there. I, there was a second city, Detroit, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And there was a second city, Las Vegas, which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, and I've been in all these places. So I may be the um, the connecting factor that led to all these places closing. But uh, Typhoon yeah. Wars, that <laughs> Totally. I was um, I started as an actor improviser and was lucky enough to get hired by the Second City and and worked for them as an actor for I mean I was really only a full time actor for maybe four years five less than five years and I realized pretty quickly that I was more interested in the writing and directing side okay. of things. One of the great things about the Second City is to um, to work at a Second City resident company means that you have to be a, an improviser, an actor, a, a writer, and a little bit of a director because you kind of have to have a mind for the whole show, the whole review, and what's being shaped and where it's going. And then I think for a lot of people when they're at Second City, they discover that there's one aspect of that that stands out to them a little bit more than the others that is their real thing that they're most excited about that they kind of go off and mainly do afterwards. For me, I realized within just a few years that I, while I like performing and still love to improvise, I did not like the repetition of performing the same oh, scripted show okay. eight shows a week. Okay. I got very bored. As soon as the show would open, I was bored with it. I would want to do bits. I would mess around. I would break during the show. I was very unprofessional at times. I You're was... the Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. 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 So I, I was I was already wanting to create new material for the next show. I wasn't interested in the repetition of running it every night. And I would see, you know, some of my castmates 
who are really great actors. When I was in Detroit, Keegan-Michael Key was in the cast and Mary Beth Monroe. And they, you know, went to school and are theater majors. And, like, they loved the, we're going to do it, we're going to get up and do it every night. And they were always challenged by that, where it just didn't feel that way to me. So I always wanted to create the new material. So I think that's what kind of led me into more of a writing and directing path, where that's been what I've mainly done. Um, throughout my career since. But I still improvise, you know, with the three right. and other folks and love to still play for fun. And that playing for fun, being an improvisation, is just in that moment, it's done, it's over. Then you move on to the next moment. Yeah. That's also brand new. I can relate to that. I can understand that completely. Mm -hmm. and, but you are still uh, on the teaching cast is that a cast a roster at uh, Second City Los Angeles? Yeah I, te yeah, I teach a few. I'm lucky enough to get to teach a few different places in LA at Second City, at IO West, mm -hmm. and another great theater called West Side Comedy Theater. All places I mm -hmm. teach or I direct um, some house sketch teams at IO and West Side. And Tell yeah, me about the house sketch because you were talking about uh, there is a group or a theater that you direct and they run a sketch. Like a sketch show in a week? Yeah, in, a, in, in mo the model for, at least in L.A., I'm not sure if it's like this in, in other places right now, but at least in L.A., at I.O., at Westside, at Second City, at UCB, there are house sketch teams at, these, at each of those theaters. And the model is pretty much the same at all the places, which is that once a month you do a new half-hour show. So it's a it's exactly the type of thing I love as a, somebody who loves to be always creating new material. So basically, you meet with your group. So as the director, I meet with the group once a week for only two hours, and um, in a month we put up a completely new sketch show every month. So week one will be brainstorm ideas, read new drafts. Week two, do notes. Week two will be rewrites, then pick the running order. Week three will be block the show. Week four will be run the show. Then there's a short tech rehearsal and you do the show. One time only, once a month, and then start back over again the next month. All new, clean slate, fresh material. So it's always just going, 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 going. So it's always new, it's always fresh, and it keeps it exciting. That sounds like so much work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. It's You're constantly churning it out. You can't be... One thing I learned on doing that schedule is like you can never blow it off. Like right? you constantly have to be on it every single week because if you're not, the whole thing falls apart and the show's terrible, you know? Yeah, you know, that's a good point because uh, <laughs> I, I can relate to that as a runner. And if you're on it, there's a training schedule for yeah. a marathon. And if you skip... That day comes where you have to run 26.2 miles, and if you don't, you are screwed. Yeah. <laughs> you are screwed. That's a great analogy, yeah. And are a lot of those shows, like some of the sketches, are, are they pretty much word for word? Because I know I've done a couple sketches where it's like, okay, here's the loose format. we got to hit these beats, and then we'll get to the end. But it's never actually written out. Is it? Is, are there some that are like that, or is it mostly on just the, all on these? They are totally scripted, which okay. you, which you would think like yeah. they would be. Yeah. You know, like you yeah. would think on this schedule, like it would make a lot of sense to do beat sheets and kind of improvise a little bit. Yeah. But they're not for whatever reasons. The model is completely scripted, and the actors take it really seriously and get off book cold on everything. Okay. I mean, it's a it's about a half an hour show, twenty five minute show every month, so it doesn't end up being a. You know, in around a ten-person cast for about five or six sketches. Uh, okay. So, so nobody's like typically super heavy in the show. They're usually memorizing two or three sketches each. Yeah. So it's not super crazy in terms of how much they've got to get off book on. Yeah. But, yeah. So you, 
teach at Second City at IO and at Westside. And it's kind of a known fact that like IO has their philosophy, UCB has their philosophy, Second City has their philosophy. So when you teach at these different institutions, do you have to kind of adjust what you teach and adapt their philosophy to the classes you teach there? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I definitely try to approach it and go, well, this is the main thrust of the program here. So I focus on these things a little bit more here than I focus on at, at another place. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody's got their, you know, I always kind of say that I think the, um, I think the beginning levels everywhere are pretty much the same i mean like everybody's teaching the essentially the same basics of improv mm -hmm. right? right but then um after that it um and you as you get into the more advanced levels the the <clears throat> different comedy theaters split off into what they end up showcasing on their stages so if it's comedy sports it's short form games if it's second city it's sketch created through re-improvisation if it's io it's the herald if it's ucb it's their version of the herald if it's groundlings it's sketch and short form when you get into the more advanced levels um you know each place goes well this is our main thing that we are doing on saturday nights that we sell tickets to <laughs> you know and and so this is the main thing we want you to learn and th there will be a different artistic focus based on where the program heads so yeah you you try to adjust it um um to the to the program try to adjust it to that theater is there one that feels more natural to you or your style i personally like i mean i love all of it but my, you know, my home base has primarily been the Second City for most of my career. And I think that's because I personally love the idea of, that Second City embraces of using um, improvisation as a tool to create written sketch comedy. Improvising and re-improvising to create written sketch comedy. I just fell in love with that process. I still love it as much as I always did. It's as exciting and challenging to me now as it ever was. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think I've sort of gravitated more towards there because they're the only place that does that. And, um, and so I really love that. As a person who started in Detroit, mm -hmm. went to Chicago, and now is in Los Angeles. And then as a person who grew up in this area, Dearborn Heights, yeah. what, what? <laughs> uh, grew up in this area. And so you get the opportunity to come back and at least see how improv scene has changed. Can you give us all each a little insight as to what the improv scene seem, seems like in Detroit? what the improv scene seems like in Chicago and how it's seen in Los Angeles. Yeah, sure. I mean, I feel like Detroit and, um, I mean, gosh, I could be wrong. My perception is that Detroit and Chicago scenes are very similar to each other in terms of the intent of the improviser. So I, I feel like most improvisers here and most improvisers in Chicago start improvising because they're really fascinated by the art form, they see it, they're intrigued by it, they fall in love with it, they love the camaraderie, they love the ensemble. Um, of course, long form's really popular in both, both places and, and they really wanna just enjoy being great improvisers. I feel like there's some of that in Los Angeles, but I don't think that's the reason most people start taking classes in Los Angeles. Not that they don't love improv, but I think most people in Los Angeles start taking classes to 
um, help enhance the rest of their career. So they've moved to LA, they're um, auditioning actors for film and television, and they want to learn improv skills to be better at auditioning, be better at on set. Um, their manager and agents encourage them to, to take it and or, or force them sometimes <laughs> to take it. And then once they get there, I think some of them end up falling in love with improv for the same reasons many people in Chicago and Detroit do. Just sort of pure, the pure love of improv, you know, once they get there and get into it. But I notice a difference, especially in as a teacher in beginning level classes from when I taught in uh, Detroit or Chicago, for example, teaching in both of those places, it would be the majority of students in class would be people who had regular real life jobs okay. <laughs> who uh, saw us a sh improv show and thought that would be fun to try and start taking classes. And in LA, most of the people are uh, people who move to Los Angeles to be actors, they have agents and managers in a beginning level class, even a level one class. They have agents and managers, they're auditioning actors around town, and they're taking improv to enhance their overall skill set. Okay. The, the, most of the class. So is it safe to say that, like, go to a Chicago, and if you put a, a, a giant room full of people that were improvisers there there might be a lot more cream of the crop, whereas in California, when it comes to, the, if you put a room full of improvisers, it might just be people trying to check a box. And so the cream of the crop, and but I, what I mean by cream of the crop is people go, I really love this, I'm gonna invest in this. Uh, it's a little bit uh, smaller. I, I think so. I mean, maybe people in LA will listen to this and be like, you, be mad at me. <laughs> but you know. They'll think of themselves as the cream of the crop. Well, one thing along that, that those lines that are interesting, though, is like if you teach the, the beginning level students in LA, while they, they may be coming in to enhance that overall skill set, many of them, rather than just purely being interested in learning improv for improv's sake, mm -hmm. right? Um, they also typically have a lot of performance experience. So that part of it's different too, whereas, you know, um, if you teach a level one class in Detroit or Chicago, most of the folks who come in won't have any performance experience. And in LA, it's like, they're really, a lot of them are really savvy performers already who are auditioning all the time, sometimes are, uh, you know, on television, currently on television shows and sure. are television stars. So they've already got that skill set they bring to it. So that's an interesting difference too. Do you see then, if you're coming from Los Angeles, and maybe I've, I've done, uh, you know, I'm a, a trained Shakespearean actor that uh, for years, and I'm coming to take uh, improv because my agent told me to, and all I know is a script. Do you see a lot of people just kind of freaking out at the idea of improvising? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, you know, I've always felt that the best, I've, I shouldn't say the best, but I, I, I've always felt that many, many great improvisers are people who had a straight acting background first. Oh. Were theater majors, were successful scripted actors. And it's interesting because people who, um, have never worked uh, as scripted actors before that start taking improv, I think tend to be open to improv and pick it up a little faster in the beginning. And people, uh, I think a lot of people who have, are theater majors, have that scripted acting background. It's harder for them to pick up acting, at, uh, improv at first, 
because it's different than so much of what they've relied upon. The, the techniques are different than what they rely upon in their acting techniques. I think it can take them a little longer to open up to it and have it click. But once it clicks for them, then they've got all their straight acting background plus the improv stuff on top of it. And I think, I know at least a lot of, at Second City, a lot of the people that go on to be big, have a lot of big success in, in the overall film and television industry have that background. Where it's like, Keegan, Michael Key is a great example, sure. where it's like, he's got that, he's that theater major mm -hmm. who was a straight dramatic actor. Yeah. And then learned the improv and puts that on top of it. And then it's like, he can do everything. That's a good yeah. point. Well, and I think, yeah, because we were actually just talking about this yesterday, is that that's the perfect marriage because we are actors. And right. I yeah. think a lot of people view improv, whether they're just coming in or just the audience members view it as, oh, they're comedians or, you know, oh, they're just up there making jokes. But really, at the base of it is we're actors. Some of the most memorable improvs I remember seeing, so there's like one I remember with TJ and Dave, and it didn't end on a laugh line. It ended on this really sweet moment that like called back to something that happened in the middle of the show. And it didn't end with uproarious applause. It ended with, oh, mm -hmm. and then it was black. Then, oh, my God. Like, and it felt like you watched this emotional moment happen. And I think, like you said, having... A good actor base you know having some stage experience and that's one thing at our theater that our our manager tells everybody to do is go be in a show go audition and be in a play someplace mm -hmm. because you need that experience to understand how to tell a narrative and how a show works you know mm -hmm. yeah plays two and a half hours and sometimes we do it in four minutes sometimes we do it in 20 minutes but you kind of at least from a theater perspective, can feel those beats and see how an emotional arc can be built as opposed to ding, say a new word, ding, say a new word, you know? Right. See, uh, you guys are way better people than I am. I feel like <laughs> I'm the shitty little kid that someone wants, like, I want to marry that man, but he, oh, he's got a daughter that's a little bitch. I got to put up with her for the rest of my life. And that's, I'm that shitty little daughter because I am not an actress. I learned improv first. So yeah, if somebody, me too, me too. If somebody, yeah. I, I'm probably more in your world because I like to write. I prefer to write as well. But I don't have any patience if somebody gives me a script. I'm like, oh, I'm forced to say these lines? <laughs> I, can I, I just, I, I can wanna, I just I, mess with oh, it? You're, oh, and it says sit here so I have to be forced. This is where I'm supposed to do. I just, I'm. I'm like you. I'm just. I'd rather you know pace it and keep it moving along. So, yeah. Uh, you're right. It probably is to the bet. Like you probably are better if you have that discipline with the theater degree. So like you yeah, bake, I, I you bake I, the I cake. I don't have that myself. Right. I don't have it either. Yeah. Right. Like if, <laughs> if Keegan or, or Mary Beth are they're the cake and improv is this delicious icing that they've added. I'm just a bowl of icing. Yeah. <laughs> which is delicious. But a bowl, yeah, a bowl of icing is delicious. You'll have a fucking tummy ache. <laughs> and I want to get you a shirt that's a shitty little daughter. Shitty little daughter. Uh, I was wondering how you're going to tie that off. Grace on. Like, is fat. She's a bitch, too. Where are we going you know? with this She always tells her mom what an awful mom you are. Won't call you mom. Calls you Becky. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not Becky. naming you. Uh, oh, oh, see? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, happened? One final question, because we all know improv is about new experiences. Yeah. And you just had a new experience last night. I did. You got to guest on Spontaneous Nation with Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah. How was that? How did that feel going into something you had no clue about? It was surreal. It was um, really fun. It was a, uh, I am a frequent listener of the podcast, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, you know, I love listening to podcasts and love Paul and some of my friends go on the show frequently and so I'm a frequent listener and it was really surreal to actually be in the show that you listen to, you know, <laughs> all the time and going, oh my God, I, I'm the one who gets to push the buttons now and <laughs> and be, do the interview seg- segment and um, and uh, so it was really cool. I mean, it's a it's a great, great show, and I think Paul is such an overall charming and hilarious entertainer mm-hmm. that one thing that always stands out to me about his podcast when I listen to it, and I, I was telling this yesterday, it's like it's got such a warm kind of bubbly energy to it. It just kind of he just kind of makes you feel good to listen to. You enjoy mm-hmm. spending time with him mm-hmm. in a really kind of old school, like entertainer, performer <laughs> way that he's got, you know? Paul, you have yeah. helped me get through so many foldings of laundry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the fun uncle. Thank you. Thank <laughs> he's you, like Paul. your fun uncle, <laughs> totally, you know? And he's so, this is one thing I notice about him watching him perform and listening to him. He's so um, comfortable up there. You know, like if the audience, Richard Pryor was like this too, you know, he's not locked into, even when he does his monologue at the beginning of the podcast, you know, he's not locked into that. If somebody makes a little noise in the audience, it's like he's responding to that. Something happens backstage, he's responding to that. He's really present and in the moment, I think, as we all try to be as improvisers, right? And he'll use, I mean, that's, I guess, what we always learn in improv, right? They're going, anything that happens, take it and use it. And um, I just think he's so great at that, and it makes you so comfortable as an audience member. So it was cool to be a part of it. Well, he had so, there were so many great moments there last night, too, in that opening monologue where you could see... The wheels turning. The wheel, him putting his own story together. Of he was in it and just and then it, everything fell into place. And he did that a couple times last night. And it was just because I always wonder. I'm like, how much of this does he think? Okay, I'm gonna go through this for that opening monologue. But you mm-hmm. can just tell last night that there's nothing there. He yeah, but he's out there solo yeah. and just taking chances. And yeah. Yeah, doing the stuff that we learn as improvisers, but he's doing it by himself. Right. Which is which is pretty wild. Yeah. are a big podcast listener yeah I mean I listen to as much as I can yeah there's so much out there now but I love I love everything I, I'll admit I listen to mostly pro wrestling podcasts but, but uh, yeah. okay I, uh, yes. well well besides Weisenheimer besides Weisenheimer yes I was gonna ask what are your top five podcasts that you um, listen to um Jeff knows these the Steve Austin show yes. Jim Ross show yes. <laughs> there's lots of wrestling podcasts oh, that I listen to I'm I feel like I'm constantly surrounded by guys who love wrestling. I don't. I don't know. 